Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you're listening to the Church Planner Podcast. And on today's episode, we're talking about teachers. What are they good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Say it again. <laughs> I was hoping. Mm. I don't know why. See, guys, here's what happened. Peyton and I were talking before we started the podcast. And he, I go, what are we talking on today? And he goes, teachers. And I go, uh, what are they good for? Absolutely <laughs> nothing. I don't know why war is in my head right now. There's no reason for it whatsoever. We're just a disclaimer. We're not making war on teachers today. That's not our agenda. It's probably because of my uh, love hate relationship with school. And when I say love hate, I really mean hate. <laughs> wasn't wasn't your favorite movie Billy Madison? It was. <laughs> All right, this is. But like I don't want another hate. teacher, Miss Vaughn. I want <laughs> you. That's awesome. That's what you said to me when I was your pastor, and you you were moving on, and I said, Pete, you know that. Can't come with you, man. It was like it was like the breakup scene. But I don't want another pastor. <laughs> I want you. You come to theater with Luke. Wasn't that the best when Batman watches that film? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I didn't like the movie. You didn't. I didn't. Have you seen the Lego movie? Yeah. Admittedly, the Lego Man movie what or the Lego movie was a better movie, but. I got to tell you something about this as a Batman fan. Yeah. As you're sitting there wearing a Batman t-shirt. I, I am. I am a 1970s kind of like silver age Batman shirt. But Batman on that movie, they had so many Easter eggs, like little hidden references that you really had to be a fan to catch. Mm, I gotcha. I, I was gotcha. impressed. Yeah. Yeah. It still doesn't do anything for me. And if you're wondering, why do I have this deep and velvety voice this morning? It's because after like my wife and two kids 
being sick for almost six weeks and me just like, man, I got the immune system of Wolverine. I am like, just nothing's hitting me this week. The cough landed right on my face. Yep. Pretty much the same for me. I, uh, yeah, I'm sick. That's, that's why I have the very white, you know, right on. But mine's worse than yours. I woke up this morning and I'm like, uh, you know, when you got a deep voice, you got to start singing, right? <laughs> swing low. I did. I did my rendition of swing low. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I did swing low. And then, uh, and I see my wife is a morning person and I'm not. And for some reason that just makes me want to like, do funny stuff to her that really annoys yeah. her. Right. And so what did I started singing to her this morning? I'm like, <laughs> I go, these arms are made for hugging and that's just <laughs> what they'll do. And one of these days, these arms are going to hug all over you. <laughs> just like, I love it, man. <laughs> and she's just like, will you leave me alone? I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't. You ever uh, you ever seen that Friends episode years ago where uh, Joey and uh, Rachel switch apartments? Oh yeah, Joey Joey. Uh, I guess Rachel wakes up in the morning and there's that guy across the alley going, "Morning's here, sunshine is here, breakfast is near, the dark of night has disappeared." And she goes, "Hey, keep it down! I'm trying to sleep." And he's like, "But morning's here." Yeah, yeah, I remember that because then Joey, when he finally moved back in, he was so happy to see that guy again. <laughs> yeah, she comes in, she goes, Some guy woke me up at like 5 30. And he's like, Oh, morning guy. I love that guy. <laughs> I love it. After all those years of living there, his name is Morning Guy. Morning Guy, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey guys, if you're uh, listening to the podcast right now and you're like, I thought you guys were going to talk about teachers. Well, we are going to talk about teachers, but until we talk about teachers, we have a little thing we like to call Smack Talk, baby. Smack Talk. That's right. And this is everyone's favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> Actually, no, just ours. Yeah, pretty much. I, I had the I I mentioned apparently on one of our past podcasts that this gal was uh, applying to come through the the Bivo Business Growth Consulting Program. Right. And um and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I actually don't like the smack talk. I skip through that and get right to the meat. You kicked her out, right? Well, apparently I said on the podcast, I almost wasn't going to let her in because she didn't like the smack talk. <laughs> and so she calls me on it. She's like, hey, I just listened to that episode. You said you weren't going to let me in. I'm like, I don't even remember what I said. What did I say? What, what happened? But yeah, yeah. That's funny, man. That's really funny. You know, I should say, I, I know we're working on a new sponsor because, uh, <laughs> our former sponsor, who sh who shall not be named, won't return any of our emails or or calls or anything because you know our guy is not there anymore. Yeah. Um, um. I think I think, and I meant to bring this up to you. I think uh, I think Pete Mitchell's business growth consulting for church planners course is going to sponsor the podcast right now. Nice. Nice. Because and uh, this podcast was also brought to you by <laughs> just on the spot was brought to you by Hardcore Church Planning, our sister podcast, which uh, Pete used to be on. When, when, I when, them yeah. Off. When we say our sister podcast, it's kind of more of like a, a stepsister situation going on right now. <laughs> used to be a sister podcast. And then I opted myself out. I, I would say redheaded stepchild 
podcast, but you are redheaded and that would be offensive to you. I have flashbacks when I hear that actually. So I I appreciate (laughs) it. I got to tell you, man, almost everyone who is in my business growth. Well, that's not even fair. I can't even say almost. They all have red hair. No, I can say there's, there's key people in my business growth consulting program who, um, who have admitted to me, they go, well, I got to be honest with you. My favorite podcast is the hardcore church planning. Cause you know, you guys do all the smack talk on the church planner podcast. And, <laughs> and I'm like, how in the world did you end up in my course? If you didn't like the church planner podcast. So, so Andrew and I are coming back last night from a date and I put on one of the hardcore ones and she's listening. She goes, Hey, cause she stopped listening to this podcast, but she goes, Hey, I really like this podcast. <laughs> this is good. So, and it was cause we don't do the smack talk. Oh, see, you know, but the numbers don't bear it out. The numbers for hardcore church planning significantly lower than church planner podcast. So all these people that's who say why, that's why I promoted it just now. But I mean, but people that, who say they right. like it so much better, I'm telling you, the numbers don't bear it out. It's like there ain't enough of well, you. But we do say, don't we, that uh, we, we we got the fight question at the end. So you know, that do kinda, you still that do kinda, the fight question? Of course. I I don't I don't think you remember. I made up the fight question. Oh no, I remember it. Actually, no. Yeah. Actually, no, 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 no. It, you didn't make it up. Because I took it from another podcast that I listened to. Oh, oh, but but uh, I don't think so. But you wouldn't let me talk on the podcast, so I got stuck <laughs> asking the question. So that's no, that's actually really encouraging because I, I haven't listened to hardcore since nice. I left. Since I left, I was like, eh, you know, I'm not listening to that podcast. And you I- know, I could change the question up. And by the way, I am still looking for a co-host for that. So if you want to put your application in, you do and- have to apply with me. Which we are to play with Pete. It, it's like if you want to date my daughter, but if you want to co-host with my Peyton, you got to go through Pete. You, yeah, and he has a shotgun, and he has a curfew, and he means it. It all I can say is an interview with Pete is about as much fun as you're going to get. And don't you be pulling up to that interview in a van. Pete and will it not will be recorded, and it will be played on the Church Planner <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that, is that why? Is it? Is that why we don't have any applications? Or is it just no one? We had Kirk Overstreet. He was like, hey, I'd like to do it. You remember? Well, you didn't tell me this. He uh, he Facebooked both of us. Did he? Yeah. Uh-oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know. Hey. Kirk Overstreet's in the running. <laughs> He's in the running. Hey, Kirk, I don't want to tell you that you're the only guy that's applied, but right now you're the only guy that's applied. So, so, so if you get the job, Kirk, don't be super impressed. But I'm just saying, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a little bit scared that you'll like your new co-host better than you like me. And then I'll be out of this one too. Yeah, he shows up with his Johnny on the spot eggs. Hey, anyone who shows up on time for a podcast with you is wasting their time. That's all I got to say. Hey, hey, that is so not fair. I am oh my gosh. on the podcast now way before you. I'm the guy texting you. You ready? And every time you go, every time, hey, hold two. on, man. Two times, two this week and like last hey, week. Hey, all I know is recent history shows. Recent I'd say how recent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, so you know what comes out uh, tomorrow on video on demand? Uh, no, Rogue One. I thought it was out already. No, it's out tomorrow. Isn't it on Voodoo? No, tomorrow. It's all uh it's all pre pre whatever you call it pre waiting list pre 
well, I think I know what I'll be doing tomorrow night. But you didn't like Rogue One. Yeah, you know what, though? It had its brilliant moments. It wasn't my favorite, but it had really good stuff. So the bad I, guy walking around with that cape was awesome. I he honestly was think such, I, I have such a lower opinion of you that that you didn't like Rogue One. Because I thought Rogue One I was... I say I didn't like it. I just wasn't bowled over by it. Well, okay. Where do you think it stands in the canon? Uh, shoot. I, I think we went over this already, but we haven't talked about Star Wars in a long time. So I think this is fair. Um, in the canon, it goes Empire, Jedi. Yeah, no, no surprise. This is like everybody, right? Then, uh, Re- no, no, I'm sorry. It goes Empire, Revenge of the Sith, Jedi, New Hope. I don't, I don't know what Revenge of the Sith is. What was what that? Yeah, it, it, it's it's not canon. Um, and then it goes Rogue One probably there and then, uh, one and then two, two is the worst. Man. Okay. Where, where is the force awakens in your canon? Force Awakens. Oh, I forgot about that. Force awakens is pretty dang high, dude. Force awakens might be, it might. Okay. So it might go empire, uh, revenge of the Sith and then force awakens. See, I would have to go. Empire, Rogue One, Wow, Force Awakens, Jedi, New Hope. See, it's really funny because those other three movies they don't—they're nowhere in my canon. I've yeah, macheted them the entire way out. You can't—you can't shut down Episode Three though. Oh, episode I can. Three has some good mileage, man. It, most people agree that that no, that I couldn't have no. So so there were some Lucas isms for sure that could have been taken out. And there were some, some things that, well, you know, that was kind of like a tribute to Frankenstein. I get it. You know, that was his whole deal, but yeah, his no voice was kind of operatic and a little bit dramatic and, um, yeah, we could have done without that. We could have done without. Yeah. We could have done, but not the whole movie. When he kills the younglings, that was rock and roll. That was so evil. Okay, and it's the, evil, but how hard could that be? Kill a bunch of little kids? Come on, I could do that, and I'm not even a Jedi. So, Church Planner, um, just bear with us. We're getting into the topic here in a second. But um, I did watch a fan theory um, last week because it, it's funny. You guys send me on Facebook. I, I get messaged by Church Planners all the time. Hey, oh, me check too. out this Huh? Me too. We usually get the dual message. They tag both of us in it. Yeah, yeah. They're like, hey, check out this Star Wars fan theory, guys. And did you watch the one? I, I, you might have been on it. It was from Brandon Woodruff, which uh, I, I got something that I was going to say about Brandon real quick. But, uh, but you know, uh, Brandon had sent in something where he was like, and this isn't Brandon Brooks, the, the guy that's in Hollywood. This is Brandon Woodruff. And he, he basically said, hey, here's this theory. And it was the Palpatine in the opera in episode three when he tells him Darth Plagueis could create life. He tells him right there, I, you know, I, I created you basically. Uh, either that or Darth Plagueis did. And then he says, you know, he couldn't save himself, but he could, he could prolong. He could save those he loved from dying. And when he says that, of course, that's the hook that baits Anakin in. But what the theory is, is that that's what the emperor does. At the end is when Darth Vader kills the emperor, the reason Vader dies is because the emperor dies and the emperor has been sustaining his life. 
So when he's got his arms and leg chopped off um, and he's dying at the end, like Obi-Wan walks away because he's like, he's dead. You know, he's he's not going to make it. And the emperor comes and he's got that little pod chamber, but that he actually sustains his life. And so for the rest of his life, that's why he can't turn against the emperor um, unless. And the theory goes that that's why he recruits Luke and says together we can defeat the emperor because he needs Luke to learn that power to keep him alive. That was a brilliant fan theory. Did, did you hear that uh, in star Wars rebels? They, they, uh, they admitted that Luke is the chosen one that they've been waiting for in the prophecy. What? Yeah. In star Wars rebels. So it's not Anakin. It's not Anakin because nice. someone asked Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, the person that he's watching over on Tatooine, is that the chosen one? And he's like, yes, it is. No way. See, now, now I got to say, Rebels is amazing. I watched Rebels uh, about a week ago when my daughter was episode one. So I haven't seen it. Dude, Rebels is way better than Clone Wars. So, yes. I didn't like, I still haven't finished Clone Wars. I'm like, it's just not good. It's kind of boring. You watch Rebels, it's a different story. You will like, if you like Rogue One, Rogue One is kind of like Rebels. Right. So you'll like it. But it's much better written than the Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you know this? Did Luke come and tell you, dad, I am the chosen one, not you. It's, it's, uh, it's because I read actually, I I don't watch TV. No, you Uh, don't. You liar. I I read and I like to stay informed on current events. What's going (laughs) on in the world. Yes. Which we never talk about. We only talk about star Wars on here. We, we do talk about current events when it suits us. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently as hasn't suited us in a while. (laughs) It doesn't often. Hey, so on another, uh, side note, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really thinking I might be getting a new car today. That's what I heard. What's it going to be? It's going to be the Dodge Charger. Woo! With, There's a new song you'll be singing tonight. Do you remember what it was? With a Hemi. <laughs> it's got a Hemi, baby. What's a Hemi? It's a really big engine. Oh, like me. Okay. It's a really big engine. So, um, yeah, no, we, we've been here's the, here's the whole story, guys. We've been looking. Because we need to get a new car. We got two kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And I got a Mustang. And I've loved my Mustang. I had it since we bought it new in 2005. But that kind of makes it old now. I mean, it's mm. really old. But the bigger problem, which I didn't really care that it's old because it still looks really good. I mean, I got nice rims on it. I got aftermarket spoiler. I mean, the thing looks just great. I got chrome grill, you know, all that type of stuff. And... uh and I love not having a more, uh, an auto payment. Like that's really cool, right? You know, no auto payment. So I haven't wanted to get a new one. The problem is as the kids get older, we have to like take them to different places at the same time. And so my wife's car is a little, you know, one of those mini SUVs, uh, Hyundai Tucson, and it works fine. It's great for the two kids. The problem is my car doesn't work really good for kids and certainly not two of them. Like we couldn't have two kids in my car. And so we got to get a new one. And we were looking at all these SUVs. The problem is I'm not really an SUV kind of guy. So I was like, oh, wait a second. Look at the Dodge Charger. It's a muscle car and it's four door. So I just like to say everybody out there that has young kids and you need to get a bigger car. And you're like, I can't give up on my dream on who I am. I'm telling you, get a Dodge Charger. That's nice. So, guys, find your identity in the automobile. That is the message of today's podcast. Pretty much. Uh, It's all about materialism. And uh, make sure it's a Hemi. 
you know, that's that's a that's a necessity right there. Well, now that you mention it and I know what it is now, I have to have one. Thanks, Pete. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, when you get in this car and you drive it, I'm going to make you drive it, man. Oh, yeah. You're going to be like, whoa. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> we showed up at the dealership and I'm like, I'm like, uh, this was the other day we showed up. And I'm like, hey, uh, you need to take my wife for a test drive. And the guy's like, OK. Because that's like a bigger concern to me is Jamie needs to be able to drive the car because, yeah. you know, she's like all dainty and only certain cars she likes to drive. And she always says that she doesn't like driving my car because when she puts her foot on the gas, it just takes off. And I'm like, okay, this car is almost got twice the horsepower. Like that's wow. how much bigger of an engine it is. And I'm like, dude, what's it going to be like when she's driving this thing? How's it on the mileage, man? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> who cares that's that is completely irrelevant that that response right there was worth listening if you guys don't listen to anything else that's okay who that cares? was worth the price of admission right there so jamie actually asked about that thing and i go well here's the deal hun what they claim on this sticker so if we just take what they claim which is like i don't know 15 miles to the gallon i go that's what my mustang gets because it's 12 years old. So I'm like, you know, does it really matter that that in today's vernacular is really bad gas mileage? Because the Mustang gets that. But more importantly, I only drive about 5,000 miles a year. So who cares what the gas mileage is? It's not like I spend a lot of money on gas anyway. I don't go anywhere. Yeah, it's true. But when I do go, I go in style. So I did actually try and get my wife this morning. I'm like, you know, hon, I'm, I'm having second thoughts about the car. I'm thinking we should get the Hellcat. Have you heard of the Hellcat? No. What's this? The Hellcat is uh, it's the $70,000 version. of They have it in the Charger and the Challenger. And it's 707 horsepower. Why? <laughs> because when you really have to go from point A to point B, you need 707 horsepower. It's a necessity. Wow. And she just yeah, looks I at me. I hope it's printed on the side because it's no fun having it under the hood if no one else knows. It has to be that little, you know, 770 on the on the side. And so, so people oh, go, whoa, when they look over. No, people know. Like, if you know cars, you'll know. Because okay. it's got its own little Hellcat. It's got its own little Hellcat logo on the side. And I was asking the guy, the, the guy who took us for the test drive. I'm like, hey, have you uh, have you driven the Hellcat? He goes, no, I only got to ride in one as a passenger. They don't even let uh, customers do test drives in them. And I'm like, well, that's smart. because what? Yeah, because everyone serious? would be like, hey, I want to go for a test drive in your Hellcat. And, you know, they don't have any intention of buying it. They just wow. run up the miles doing uh, doing test drives. But um, Jamie just looks at me this morning. She goes, the only way you can get the Hellcat is if you agree to strap the two kids to the roof and pull out of the parking lot doing four Gs. And I'm like, done, sold. So right there. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see later today. We're, we're, if the car is still there, we're going back and we'll see if we get it or not. I mean, you know, it's always a big decision, especially when you, uh, when you really enjoy not having a car payment. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, I got two announcements. Um, we don't normally do this, but I've had two people ask me to do two things and don't get any ideas because it's in normal. All right. These are two two things. One is from our buddy, uh, Caesar Kalinowski, and he's asked if we might. And he he kind of he came on to our telesummit kind of last minute 
and uh, he's going to be. Pete, do you want to tell him a little bit about the Telesummit? Well, I'm just going to tell you guys that the Telesummit is coming uh, soon. Mm-hmm. We have got a lineup of speakers uh, that you're going to love, and we're doing it as a Telesummit because most church planners are bivo. So you're not going to have to go anywhere for this conference. You're just going to have to dial into a phone number, and that's how you're going to get uh, guests for our tele. Or you're going to be able to listen to these these awesome uh, speakers that we got lined up. So very cool. So Caesar Kalinowski says um, for free. I should add that for name. free, for free, for free. And uh, this is for free for Caesar because he he, he obliges us. But um, in the Life School podcast, that's his new podcast. We'll show you in about 25 minutes how the good news of the gospel and Christian faith can naturally and confidently be woven into every area of life. Each episode is pretty fast paced. And even though it's serious stuff, it can, it can be funny too. It can be, it's not smack talk. That's what he's saying. It's no smack talk, but uh, we always wrap up with clear action steps. Take you away to the victory. I got to say he, um, on the telesummit dropped a bomb on there that, I literally stopped and said, brother, that may be the most profound thing anybody's ever said on any of our interviews. It was solid gold. Why didn't you have me on that interview? Um, well, you know, we, we hadn't had Caesar and I really wanted to have him on and he wanted to talk about gospel fluency. And that's, that is what he talks about. But I'm just telling you, Caesar is, you know, he was the co-founder of Soma. And he was the co-trainer of all the church planners. So guys train multiple church planners. But um, church planning is not his passion. You find sometimes guys that, that train church planners, it's not their passion. Their passion is something else. And for Caesar, it's the gospel. But it's not like, you know, uh, systematic theology gospel. You know, it's, it's Caesar's take on everything is always slightly unique. And I find that guy so refreshing. But... He dropped two really, really powerful. One of them was so powerful. Like I said, I stopped and was like, brother, that is literally probably the most powerful thing anybody has ever said on any of our podcasts, and including me. It was so powerful. So I'm just going to drop that out there. But uh, the other announcement I have, and like I said, guys, this is a one-off here. Um, so don't write in and go, hey, could you do this for me? Because I'm not going to. But I got a brother <clears throat> who's um, a guy that I've been coaching who is starting up a um, training fitness program for pastors. His name's Brandon Woodruff. I mentioned him earlier. And he wants to see you guys as church planners kind of hone, uh, like how Pete's massaging your finances, helping you do the BIVO and consulting. Um, this guy's saying, hey, you got to be fit because that's going to affect every area of your life. So uh, his site is liftingyourcross.com, and he combines spirituality with fitness, um, and he's a church planner in the heart of Manhattan. So uh, he's just jumped and uh, get in touch with him. This is one of the ways he's supporting himself. It'll put you on a fitness program, and uh, that's it. You know what's My funny is uh- – I talked to him about uh, coming through the business growth consulting, and at the time you couldn't do it because he was just leaving the military, right? Like the army, or yep, was it army? Yep, or? guy's been in military for years. What, what branch was it? Do you remember? I don't want to. Uh, I believe it was. I think it was National Guard. Oh, was it? I thought he was in the it, army. 
See, I don't want to offend the, the army. I just spoke to a guy who. Oh, you know what? It it was it's that's a different guy because I started coaching another dude for Mac Lake. Uh, okay, but yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I think it was the army with that. I, I just I hate saying what branch they're in and being wrong because that's usually such an offense. I know to right? someone, and so I'm like, oh crap, man, did I say the right one? But um, but so anyway, he couldn't do the program because he was like, you know, he he's literally moving to Brooklyn. From right. uh, or, or did he move to Brooklyn? Or, oh, right. Uh, it is Jamaica? Brooklyn. Yeah, it's not Manhattan. It's Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like insanely expensive. After yeah. leaving the military, he's like, "Look, I just can't financially do it." But, but the reason why I bring this up is that's somebody who should totally come through my program because I was just coaching a guy yesterday on how to do that very thing, like how yeah. to start a program like that and make it uh, make it really profitable. Yeah, right on. And that's what that's what a lot of these guys are looking for. I mean, you were talking about another uh, church planner yesterday who was like, "Look, man, I'm struggling to make my mortgage payment and he's trying to put together a program so he can make uh make additional income." Yeah, he's making it work too. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So guys, check him out. Again, that was uh liftingyourcross.com. So Cool. So should we actually get in with our topic now that we're We a half probably hour in? should. We're going to talk about teachers today. What are they good for? Absolutely nothing. I'll say it again. Um, you know, uh, the teachers are what we know. I mean, it, it's almost difficult to to even come into this and say something. Uh, is that chocolate cake for breakfast, Pete? I'm lifting my cross. <laughs> You're lifting something. I think it's a heart attack. But is it's that a, chocolate cake for it's breakfast? It's a chocolate muffin. It's a muffin. That's it's not a cake. <laughs> Cakes for afternoons. Muffins are for the morning. So uh, talk <laughs> back back to back to church planting. Um, so the teacher aspect is it, it's what we've known. I mean, we we've got this model that has the teacher in the pulpit, and we call that guy the pastor, which really is another term for shepherd. But he's not the shepherd. He's not the pastor. The guy in the pulpit's the teacher. And so occasionally we get shepherds that are in the pulpit and we kind of say about that guy, you know, he's really good with people, but he's not a great teacher. And what we're really saying is we know intrinsically in our heart, although we don't express it with our language, the difference between shepherds and teachers. And so I bring this out in Church Zero Chiching. And I talk about the fact that um, today, if you want to be in the pulpit week after week, um, you you apply and you become, under the Moses model, you become the senior leader because you can talk good. But that's not what the intention was in the role of elders in the early church. and the role of the elders in the early church, it was to hold this tension. So as we've been going through this series, and this is leading up, to my next book, which will start that series pretty quick here. But as we go into this, ironically, um, the, the balance of power and the balance of gifts was meant to have the apostle as the outward kind of frontier pioneer, mobilizing the church to get out into the community. And often those are the church planners. Then we've got the prophetic leader, who's the guy that you know, he really kind of looks after the spiritual gifts. He stirs up gifts in people. He, um, you know, he he often walks in the supernatural. He's got a prophetic edge to him. Um, he may be the guy that says, hey, let's let's pray and heal that guy. Um, then you got the evangelist who is the guy who's just out there. Let's just go get lost people. 
And then you got the shepherd, which we talked about last time. I won't go into. And then lastly, you have the teacher. Now, there is within our generation a resistance to teaching. Um, the reason why is we we the postmodern mindset is struggling with a couple of different things. Number one, they struggle with authority. Who who are you? And why do you think you know better than anyone else? And so the teachers got it stacked against them. I would say any any anyone in the pulpit nowadays has a much harder road to hoe than say previous generations under the modern generation. The postmoderns, um, it, it, it's like a saying in Britain: "Jack is Jack is as good as his master," which is a phrase that means like particularly when you have like working class and the nobility in Britain. Jack was the servant. It was always Jack is as good as his master is an attitude that says, you're no better than me. You might, you might be posh. You might be uh, a noble. You might have come from, you know, landed gentry, but you're no better than me. And, and that's, that's the attitude that today the postmodern has. Authority has been stripped away. Authority channels are different. Anybody can just pop a video up and suddenly they're an expert. Anyone can pop up on YouTube and millions of people are watching them just for the purpose of I made videos and now I'm an authority. I am this authority. So we're in a different age. And so nowadays with everything being social media, social chat, um, social interaction, um, you are not expected to preach or teach at people and just be respected because you're up on a platform and a stage. Used to be that when you're up there preaching – Kind of like Billy Graham. He'd be like, the Bible said, the Bible says. And nowadays people are like, well, I can get on the Internet. And I can Google the Bible and I can find a million ways that the Bible are wrong through the new atheist movement. And so everything's been eroded is what I'm trying to get to. Mm. And so people don't respect authority anymore. So when you get up there and you open your <laughs> mouth, um, you're already fighting an uphill battle because people are going, who do you think you are? In fact, in today's culture, in today's society, it's considered, you are considered arrogant if you talk at people and don't provide them an opportunity to share their opinions back. You're actually going against the grain of the entire culture. And so we call that type of teaching proclamation uh, evangelism. When you stand in a pulpit and you tell people what they should think and believe. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand me here. It is a biblical model. But Paul knew that although the Greeks respected that, the Jews did not. And so what Paul did is he got into the synagogue and he sat and he reasoned with them. It says that Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom, and reasoned with them from the scriptures why Jesus was the Messiah or why Jesus was the Christ. And that verse right there tells you that Paul had a methodology of going to the Jews. He knew there needed to be some heated debate. When it says he reasoned with them, that means there was interaction and debate. And so what I would say today is that, you know, one of the things we found in church planning is, and, and Refuge does this well, um, Refuge Long Beach, they will have a discussion now before the message and after the message. So it's two shorter sessions rather than a longer session. <coughs> and, uh, Gesundheit. Thank you. And bless you, Train. 
you're trying to ready to come and belch out its stuff. So it's and Lucy, I see you in the background. How about Lucy? Looks sad. What's happening with Lucy? Did she chewing her foot off? I'm about ready to get a new dog too. She's old. Oh man, just trade it in with the old car, man. She she's as old as my car. She's 12 years old. <laughs> she's hobbling around like your car, man. Dude, that's because she licks her paw raw. Literally I licks can see her raw. That. Yeah, I can see the paw, and I see her limping. So so, anyways, I just waiting. I was stalling while the train was going by, yeah. but. But the, the whole idea of interaction, that's what you need nowadays. <clears throat> and the second thing is authenticity. So to counteract the whole idea of you're an arrogant man for standing up there thinking we, a room full of hundreds of people, should listen to you or thousands of people should listen to you. And we don't get to say what we think. Like I said, it's counterintuitive to this culture. It's, it's countercultural. But one of the ways to counteract that is to be real. And to be authentic and to, to let people know up front, you're not anyone special, that you're a real person. You don't think highly of yourself. So I would say that is one of the things that, that you have to labor at nowadays is authenticity that the previous generation didn't have to. Right. Mm. Um, in fact, it was they were already kind of held in awe. There's a past up there, you know, the, the, the reverend, you know, there was this, oh, sorry, reverend, when they cuss around you. And, and, and that's all changed. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, what you hit on to me is so important because you're right. Growing up, you, if the pastor said something, it was the truth. It was, as we like to say, the gospel truth, right? Right. Because he said it. And I remember just, I mean, I had so many friends who were not Christian. And I shouldn't say all at once because I didn't have a lot of them when I was growing up because my parents put me in private school, private Christian school, and dad was a pastor and that whole thing. But later in life, and I was like, I was unprepared for their questions. I didn't know how to address them because, you know, they'd bring up questions. I'm like, dude, the only answer I got is because the Bible says so. And while that is true because the Bible says it, it doesn't mean someone else who doesn't even believe in the Bible as truth is going to accept that. And I remember um, you preaching and you talking, you're like, this is just what we had to do in the UK. You're like in the UK, this is how we have to do it because they don't come from the standpoint that the Bible is truth. No. And so they come from the opposite. Yeah. You got to prove it. You got to, you know, set it up and prove the whole scenario. They come with the assumption that the Bible's already been debunked. And it moved, you know, it, it came, it did its worst and it went away. That's how it is in Europe. You know, that that's their mindset. And so you can stand up there going, hey, listen to the Bible. And like you said, like I had to do this whole series and I think it's online um, at PeytonJones.Ninja called A Biblical Worldview. And I gave all of these, I, I basically attacked the worldviews that were out there, the things that people assumed without proving, and provided a more biblical worldview. <clears throat> that was really huge for people in our church because even after being saved for a couple of years, we would find that their worldview still was a completely secular worldview. And I would say, just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of really, um, I haven't given a good introduction to. The teacher, the role of the teacher is to really um, teach the principles out of the word of God, 
to the congregation. And so he, they're, you know, Paul or uh, Peter in Second Peter one says, "I pray that you would add to your um your 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 faith virtue and to virtue knowledge." And that's what the um, the teachers for. The more that we know, the more that we grow. And I know that there's people out there that would say, "No, no, no." You know, that's the way of thinking. Knowledge, um, knowledge is going to. I get it. Like hearing sermons can just make you head heavy. I get that, but it starts with knowledge. So knowledge isn't a bad thing. The you know, and people always quote, "Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up." Yes, knowledge by itself will do that. Um, but in in the scripture, the reason that you're given the gospels. Is in, in this is where the epistles go. The gospels are what Jesus did and said, and then his death and resurrection. So, what Paul does in the epistles is he spends the first half of every epistle spelling out what Jesus did and said, the gospel, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then the second half, so that's doctrine. He points out. This is what you should believe as a result of what Jesus did, said, died, and rose again. These things. This is what you should think. And then the second half of every epistle is this is how you should live. Like the disciples asked, how should we then live? Well, this is this is what you should know, and this is how you should live as a result. And that's how you can break up literally every epistle. So in uh, Romans... It goes Romans chapter 1 through 11 is what you should think. Um, Romans 12 through basically 15 is how you should live, right? And you can learn a little from 16 as parting thing, how you should live. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is what you should think about the gospel. And chapter 4 through 6 is cleanly how you should live. Mm. And so, you know, and, and, and Paul starts moving into verbs like walk in the light, walk in the, walk in love, walk in the truth. Those things are, you know, it, it's, it's really clear in the epistles that what I think determines how I, how I live, right? As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs says, so he is. So a teacher really belabors to get people to deepen their understanding, but understanding is enough. That's why Paul in Ephesians says, um, i Get on my knees before the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation be given to you in your knowledge of him. Mm. So he's saying, I need the spirit to really blow your mind. You know stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Jesus died on the cross, you know, and rose from the dead. Kind of like R.C. Sproul once said that there was a kid in Sunday school, and the teacher said, uh, uh, does anyone know where my eraser has gone? And this one kid raises his hand the Sunday in school and says, I don't know, teacher, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with Jesus dying for our sins. <laughs> and it's just it was like this road answer, like everything went back to that, you know, no, no understanding of it. Just I think it's something to do with Jesus dying, you know, and uh, and, and we can be like that. Yeah, I know Jesus died for me. Yeah, yeah. And Paul's writing these epistles going. But if you know that, if you really know that. This is how it changes your entire life. It, it saturates everything about you. And so that's what the teacher should be doing is teaching for life transformation, not for impartation. You know, like, like they say, preaching is for transformation, not for information. 
And that's true teaching and preaching. That's what the teacher's meant to do. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. They just think, I'm just going to exposit the scripture good. I'm just going to teach a good sermon. Well, that doesn't do jack for anybody. I've sat under amazing teachers. I've listened and read a million sermons. But what is conveyed, and, and, and literally, guys, if I asked you two weeks after I preach what I preach on, chances are you can tell me. Grace. The reason I know. Grace. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that was in there somewhere. But most of the time nowadays, I mean, I've been preaching for 20 something years. I usually can't remember what I preached on. And that really bothered me because I'm like, why am I not remembering stuff? And it could be the head trauma I had. It could be the fact that I died for 20 minutes, right? It's probably some brain damage. It explains a lot. I, I definitely think there's some brain damage. Oh yeah, you like like no joke. I seriously think about this sometimes. I wonder how much brain damage I got. I think I used to be smarter before that, but you know, well, the, the, it, it couldn't possibly be you were dumber before that. That's for sure. <laughs> you never know. I might have been given special powers when I returned, but uh, but but here's a deal, man. I I honestly, you know, where was I going with that? Wow, I really sidetracked myself. Sorry. No, no, I I did it to myself. Um, see the and, brain damage. See? And, and the worst part is, I wasn't paying attention to anything you said up until now, so I can't even get you back on track. <laughs> well, the uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll grasp after it here, but um, I think that um, you know, like I said, I've I've sat under lots and lots of people, and I can't remember what I've said. But where I've rested, and this is it, where I've rested is that it's not about what I said. It's about what the spirit of God did during that time. There was an impression there was, mm. there was, and it's a process for people. And I think the epistles bring out, it's a process. You read those over and over and you feel even in your own walk, it's a process of growing closer to Jesus and, and, and knowing more, but living it is that's where James comes in and goes, Hey man, look, you can tell me what you believe, but I'll, I'll show you what I believe. By what I do. So, so the teachers always meant to be getting people's knowledge to deepen, but you need those other roles because if you only have a teacher, then the church becomes a classroom. They don't do anything with it, right? It's at some point in chemistry class, you got to break out the beaker and the butts and burner and not just light your farts, Pete. Like you got to do real things. You got to like, Literally do some experimentation. So you need your evangelist, right? You need your prophet who goes, well, you know, let's actually lay hands on that guy and do something about Jesus's power and death and resurrection. And then you need your apostle going, well, let's get out in the community and saturate this place with spirit-filled believers. So you need these other roles to get the church not to be a classroom. And I hate to say it, but a lot of our churches today are classrooms. We call them campuses because people are students but and then we go oh well student means disciple and so we're making disciples by teaching them no time mm. teaching and tactics right you need to be with those guys with those leaders or gals you need to be with those people that are leading you and you need to be doing tactical work right tactics tactics time teaching and tactics all three of those work together to make a disciple. That's what Jesus did. He spent time with them, three years, day in, day out, discipling life on life. That's shepherding. That's, that's prophetically using his gifts in their lives. Then 
there was teaching, right? He was teaching them. And then thirdly, there was tactical maneuvers, tactics. He was taking them out doing stuff. Those three things together make disciples. So teaching isn't enough. But one of the things that so so then the question becomes, well, what should we be teaching people? I think there's a big misunderstanding on this. Um, what we okay, so there's been a shift historically during the 20th century um, in theology, and the way that you approach the Bible can be one of two ways. We have what's called systematic theology. Systematic theology goes way way back. Um, systematic theology, particularly most of our it's kind of like the Dewey Decimal System. If you go into any library in America, um, you're going to find the Dewey Decimal System at play. And what the Dewey Decimal System, is, it, what it tells you is like in the 100s, you'll find these types of books. In the 200s, you'll find these types of books. In the 300s, you'll find, and it's the same in every library. They're all going to be categorized with the same numbers on the spine. You see those numbers, that's a code. Systematic theology is the same. So what you do in systematic theology is you codify all of the teachings in the Bible into a system. So every systematic theology book that's out there, you open it up, it's all going to begin with the same thing. It's not going to talk about creation. It starts off by talking about revelation, epistemology. How do we know what we know? So it talks about revelation. How does God reveal himself? And usually it says there are two chief means of God revealing himself uh, supernatural revelation and natural revelation it usually tackles natural revelation, things we can see in creation and blah, blah, blah. Then it says supernatural revelation, then the word of God. Then it goes into the word of God itself, infallibility, authority, inspiration of scripture, all those things. So uh, and then it will go into creation, creation ordinances. Uh, and there's this whole system. And what it does, and I, I know this is kind of like for you, Pete, this is a little bit of boring talk, but I'm going somewhere with this. What you do is you take the Bible and you piece it out and you drop every scripture into those categories. What does the Bible say about the creation ordinances? And you drop all that into that Dewey Decimal classification system. And I've got like books on my shelf that are this thick. I've got volumes on systematic theology. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith followed the formula. Um, Calvin's Institutes. All these books followed this classification formula. And so today, People are rebelling against that because systematic theology, either people say it's boring, it's complicated, or I don't like it, or I don't see how it applies to real life <laughs> because it's disjointed and disconnected. Now, it's, it's helpful to know it, but people are bored by it. They don't want to sit in a classroom and learn about the creation ordinances of God. Some people do, right? Don't get me wrong. Particularly reform people, which... By the way, the reform movement is largely a movement led by teachers. That's why they always talk about expositing. And praise God for word-based movements. Praise God for uh, teacher uh, teachers like John Piper and Lloyd Jones. Those are my heroes. Um, you know, people that that labored in the word and doctrine. Thank God for that. However, um. There was a new type of theology developed that I would say nowadays is more popular. And it's, it's the fastest growing um, study in the universities. It's what people want to study. <clears throat> I don't know the exact years that it came about. I want to say 30s, 40s really picked up speed in the 50s. 
Um, but it was known as biblical theology. And what biblical theology did is it, it, it went away from studying the concepts of scripture and classifying them and actually started studying truth as God presented it. So, for example, it started looking at things like a book of the Bible. How did God, and it started looking at it in order. What was the first thing God said to the world? Um, and it, it really was the study of revelation, not the book of revelation, but God's revelation to humanity itself. And, and people just felt we want to study uh, the word of God as God presented it. So Job, um, would be the first manuscript, the oldest manuscript we have. And, and scholars date that as the earliest written book. And, and when you start stepping back and going, okay, so it's not the way that the guys compiled the, the Old Testament. So the way that we compile the Old Testament is not the way that the Jews compiled the Old Testament, by the way. Okay. The way that the Jews do is slightly different, but the Hebrews. So, um, it, it, it's similar, but it's different. And, and I can talk about that, but it's not really important. But, um, the deal is, is it, you look at the book of, uh, Job as the oldest, um, book of the Bible. And you have, uh, Job saying things like, um, why'd you do this, God? And it's a whole thing about why does bad stuff happen to good people and on and on. And at the end, God just goes, Hey, I'm wiser than you. I have more knowledge than you. You know nothing. And at the end of that, you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's, there are things I don't understand. I'm not going to understand here on this side of heaven. And so biblical theology looks at what was the message that God was getting across. And, <clears throat> and so what that tells us is the oldest book of the Bible is God doesn't, A, God's first message to humanity is I know life sucks. And I know that you struggle and you suffer and you want answers. I get that. That's why I inspired Job to write this book. However, one of the other things is biblical theology would come in and say, well, this book's written in stanzas and it's got a cycle. So it's like a cycle of Job's two friends. They each get a cycle to say what they want. So there's six conversations. Then Job comes in and he does a cycle of response. And then his friends start up the two cycles again. And then Job comes back with another cycle. So it's like a six of his friends, right? Two each. He has three friends, a cycle of Job, another cycle of his friends, another thing of Job, then another cycle of his friends, another thing of Job. Then Ehud or, or Elihu, the young guy comes up and he does a cycle. He hasn't spoken the whole time. And then God comes in. Boom. So biblical theology would look at those cycles and say, well, what does that mean? Well, the first thing they say is this probably wasn't actually how the conversation actually went. This is a poem. It's written in poetic form. And so this probably wasn't a he said like a dialogue that actually happened in this manner. It's a poem written. So once you understand that, you're like, okay, so this is really a piece of art. Now, the Holy Spirit's speaking through it, but it's a piece of art. It doesn't make it any less true, but biblical theology starts to study things and say, okay, so when, when I first got saved, I thought this is a literal conversation because it's the Word of God. This is exactly how this conversation took place. 
he said this, then that guy said that, then this guy said that. No, it's a piece of literature. So you start studying the Bible as literature. And what you start doing when you do that is you start extrapolating the principles. Why did God write it in this way? Why a poem? Why did, uh, uh, why were there two cycles each? And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to unpack it much more than that. But what I do want to say is nowadays, I think that most of the teachers that we listen to have gotten away from systematic theology and have gotten more onto, um, uh, biblical theology. And so that's kind of the, the deal here is, um, you're just, you're just looking at, at a different way of, of communicating the scripture today, um, than, than you used to. So, uh, people are now starting to look at the message. They're starting to look at, um, you know, why did God write this? How do you say it? Same with revelation. Nowadays, people are looking at it as a piece of apocalyptic literature. They look at all the apocalyptic literature in the scripture. They look at the apocalyptic literature of the day. They might say something like Genesis is written, chapter one and two are written in a poem form. Um, it's not written as a narrative necessarily. It's a poetic narrative, which might change how we look at that. Um, is it straightforward science? I mean, the, there's all these different things that come out. And so evangelicals are looking at the Bible through recent scholarship. There's some amazing guys. Lloyd-Jones was a huge fan of biblical theology. Tim Keller's a huge fan of biblical theology. So as I'm saying this, you might go, oh, I'm not sure if it's infallibility and authority of Scripture is still intact. But you look at things a little bit differently than you used to, as this is just how it happened you now realize this is literature and it was written a certain way and God inspired these minutes they wrote. And why, why was this literature written this way? And so that's kind of it. And then when you take the different books as a whole, you look at it. So like the themes came out of Matthew, like Jesus is the King. Um, you know, Mark, it comes out as, you know, the suffering servant from Isaiah. You see all the Isaiah references and Mark to outnumber all of the other references to Isaiah and all the other gospels combined. And so you start looking as a piece of literature, but amazing theology comes out, but it's, it's theology that's pertinent to that book and that specific form of revelation. And so that's why you go through Matthew, you get completely new facets of Jesus as opposed to, uh, aspects of Mark. So I'm going to stop there because I feel like I'm going to bore everybody and lose everybody. Why? But, Just because uh, you lost me about, you know, 15 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm watching you right now. And I'm like, yeah, I lost Pete. But but it's fascinating. Guys, I'm a nerd for biblical theology, if you couldn't tell. Well, I, I had a comment it. that I wanted to share for a long time, but you didn't let me even, you know, raise I'll, my hand. I'll have to go pay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So, well, Just interrupt I, me, man. You know me. Yeah, I do know you. But I was thinking back to the whole connecting with the people in your church, which to me is the meat of what we're trying to get at here, is you need to connect and not be so studious that you bore, Yeah, much like this podcast has been up until this point. Yeah, don't do what I just did, <clears throat> for sure, but, especially from the pulpit. Don't get up there and geek about biblical theology with people. Don't do that, ever. But what I found interesting is I saw a movie recently, and of course, on this podcast, we relate everything back to movies. Uh, it was called The Man Who Knew Infinity. Have you seen that one? No. 
It's uh, it's the true story. I can't remember the dude's name. They mentioned him in Goodwill Hunting, but he's the guy who was uh, this kid who was born in poverty in India, and he's one of the greatest uh, mathematicians the world has ever known. And he basically, at least the way they tell the story in Goodwill Hunting, is he got a uh, just a regular little textbook, kid's textbook on geometry. And he was able to take those basic concepts and he formulated huge like formulas that today have rocked the world of mathematicians. And so he got invited back to England uh, to one of the schools. I don't remember which one it was. One of the prestigious ones to, you know. Probably Oxford. Yes, yeah, something like that. Right. It was during World War II. Yeah. And um, the thing that I thought was so interesting is he had all of these great Proof, well, not proofs. He had these great formulas, and no one there believed his formulas. They're like, this can't be right. And part of the problem was he didn't do any proofs. And it was because he never been trained on how to do math their way, mm. and that you have to pre- basically prove each step of it. And, you know, here's the proof that I built on that came up with this. And here, yep. and so that was the big turning point is he worked with the mathematician who was able to help him do the proof side. And he's like, why can't they just accept it? It's true. I mean, yeah. I did the math. I know it's true. And they're like, they can't just accept it because there's no proof. You haven't yeah. done the proofs to to build on. And that's just kind of what it reminds me with. Very much. Yes, it can be true, right? Everything we're saying from the pulpit can be true. But if you haven't given people the proofs, the steps. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's true because they don't believe you. So you got to give them those steps. You got to basically walk them down the path to show them that, yes, this is true because these little things over here are true. And I mean, for myself, I don't, I've probably mentioned this on the podcast, but the thing that has made the biggest impact on my life in the last, basically, I'd say six, seven years, however long we've known each other, um, because that's where I really had a, a turning point in my own life of, you know, growing up in the church, dad who's a pastor, Christian schools my whole life. Oh, I'm, I got fire insurance. I'm saved, which now I, I just, anyway, I don't even want to go off on that whole, <laughs> which I could, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but for me, the reason why I can accept the Bible as true is because of the story of Jesus. Yeah. And but I never had that before, and I mean it's because I've I've really looked at the story of Jesus, and it was like okay, well look if the story of Jesus is true, which is one of the most fantastical stories ever, that you know God literally put on skin and came down to earth, and this is what He did. But because I could come to that by looking at you know each little step in yeah. the process, for me it was like okay, well then now I can accept the Bible is true because of this story, which is just so obviously central to the theme of the Bible, but it's so outrageous. Yeah. And I can come to the realization that that outrageous story is true. For me, it became very easy then to accept the whole Bible. Um, Yeah. Well, and so talking about systematic theology, one of the first things that I did, I mean, a biblical theology and, and by the way, guys, um, this is why it's important. Remember how I start off saying that, this generation doesn't believe um, dogma. The, the systematic theology is more given to dogma. 
It's a it's a dogmatic system. So in systematic theologies, by the way, there's not just one. Don't misunderstand me. There are different dogmas, which means there are different types of systematic theologies out there. So you exchanging one systematic theology for another, you're exchanging one dogma for another. And so when you're using the scripture as a way to point back to your dogma, you know, like Reformed theology or Wesleyan theology or whatever theology it is, Pentecostal theology, you have your dogma. And people are so not into that. People are like, look, I, I, there's so many dogmas out there. And as a postmodern, I don't trust this. So when Pete talks about like the mathematic guy, the paradigm shift to biblical theology, in my opinion, gives itself more to exposition than uh, systematic theology. Because when mm. I'm doing a, a biblical theology evaluation of First Timothy, I'm looking for key words that are repeated. I'm studying the Bible's literature, and I'm looking at the pastoral. What are the words that occur throughout all the pastoral epistles? It points to the authenticity of authorship, that I find similar words and languages. I can look at different literature and say, you know, what did Paul? We find through that that Paul invented words, like, for example, the word um, in Philippians with all lowliness. Um, that word's not found anywhere else in secular uh, writings. And so that word... Suddenly now, Paul, in some cases, scholars say, had to invent language to flesh out what it looks like to be a Christian, that there wasn't language in existence that actually like loneliness means that you have a status and you humble yourself from that. And and it's it's like the equivalent of meekness. But there's so many great things. Like when you talk about proofs, one of the things that I would start from is I would be talking to a European person. They go, what's the proof of the Bible? And I'd say Israel. And they say, what do you mean? And I go, well, that's the only ancient people who completely stopped being an ancient people, got scattered all across the globe and came back together. And God prophesied this in the Old Testament that it would happen to them three times. Once it happens under the Assyrians, then it happens under the Babylonians, and then it happens again in our age. And God has promises for all that. Now, I'm not a Zionist. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's not like, hey, you know, I married into a Palestinian family. So I'm probably on the wrong side of the argument of a lot of that for people. I don't hold to premillennial um, theology. But here's the deal. Um, the, 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 but again, with humility, maybe I'm wrong, you know, but, but here's the deal. You, again, because you, you, you change your, your, your dogmas, but, but again, I would point to that. Non-believers would be like, huh. And I would say, look, you at least got to consider that, right? I mean, the Bible talks like they're going to be around, and it talks about them stopping and ceasing being dispersed. But it talks about them coming back together, and we saw that happen after World War II. I mean, you just got to think. And so that was a starting conversation even with my neighbor here in California across the street. We started that conversation. It was a doorway open to the gospel. And then I would go back through biblical theology. I'd go back to the book of Daniel, which Daniel, biblical theology, changed the way I looked at Daniel. I do think Daniel talks about a future antichrist, but I think most of the book, including 11, 12, the kings of the east, all that, um, is a reference very clearly to the 400-year silent period where it talks about the the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, which were the two dynasties of Egypt. And so Daniel is the last major book of the Old Testament, and Daniel prophesies what's <laughs> happening next to the kingdoms. So he sees all the kingdoms, and then he sees the rise of the Roman Empire, right? That's the last one, the feet of iron mixed with clay. 
And, and this is all kind of fleshed out by good scholarship, but he literally prophesies what's going to happen during the 400 year period. And he says, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. That during this time where God's not speaking, God prophesies in advance what's going to happen in the major world powers during that time so that even though God's not speaking to the Hebrews anymore, he is telling them, but I'm still in control. Look, this is what's going to happen. And the Hebrews had this document during that 400-year silent period known as the book of Daniel that's telling them God is still in control of the world. And it wasn't until probably about 20 years ago that we found it. Everybody used to debunk Daniel, and they found a document that laid out almost everything word for word that Daniel says in chapter 10 and 11, which, by the way, I doubt your pastors ever exposited to you Daniel 10 and 11 because it's just a bunch of history. Why did God put that in there? And scholarship dates this back to before it happened, before the 400-year silent period. Why? Because God was telling them, I'm still in control. And who breaks the silent? The voice. Why is John the Baptist called the voice of one crying in the wilderness? Because he's the one who breaks the 400 years of silence. And what he says is, get ready. The king is coming. What king? The one that Daniel prophesied about when he says, I saw a kingdom coming from heaven. Why does Jesus come and his message is, the kingdom is amongst you? See, this is mind-blowing stuff, but it takes a little extra work. You get into biblical theology, and you're in a whole nother world from systematic theology. Mm. And all of a sudden you're able to start sharing things that as God revealed himself in scripture, it's way more pertinent to where non-believers are at. So I'm sorry, I'm geeking out today, Pete, I'm going to shut up now because that's probably about all that, you know, Oh yeah, we're over. <laughs> we're over. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've been watching the clock. We're way over, <laughs> but, uh, but it's fascinating guys get into this stuff. Goldsworthy is a great author on this. Um, there are tons of them out there. Mitchell um, is a great author. Oh, and Pete Mitchell. Um, you can get his uh, free ebook on this um, <laughs> if you sign up for Bivo. <laughs> you can go to uh, Bivo. What did I call that website, man? Now I can't even remember. <laughs> Bivo Manifesto. Bivo Church Planner Manifesto.com. There you go. Forward slash Biblical Theology Manifesto. <laughs> uh, you'll find it in the show notes. Just go ahead and click on over. <laughs> Not. So, uh, hey, guys, well, uh, we, we don't have any. Do we have any ads? Or, oh, we do. We have we one. We do. But but it's kind of a it's a unique situation because we actually did get an email this week from someone who was like, hey, what do I do if, uh, if I got to take care of payroll and insurance and workman's comp and build out a website for my church? And I'm just not good at any of that stuff. So I was wondering if you have a quick answer that we might be able to pass on to them. Uh, nope. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, sorry, guys. Uh, remember, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's... Oh, wait. Oh, no. I, I guess we're not getting that sponsorship money. This uh, <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Simplify Church, who is... SimplifiedChurch.com. What? Who, who is the, uh, the answer to that guy's problems. They will do your bookkeeping. They will keep accounts for you. They will report to the IRS. They will uh, send out your donors receipts. They will keep you compliant with the law. And you don't got, ain't, ain't nobody got time for that, but they do. That's, what, that's what they do. About. That's what I'm talking about. That's what they do. That's the role. Know your role. That's theirs. That, you know, you may be a teacher and uh, you can't be waiting on tables like Peter said, right? Peter said, Hey, I, I got to give myself the word of God in prayer. 
But Peter was an apostle, so he can do that too. In fact, all five of these roles give themselves to the Word of God in prayer, just in different ways. So thanks for joining us today. This has been the Church Planner Podcast. Reminding you, want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music